One of the saddest statistics I can think of is the dismal divorce rate in the Western world. Even in the church, rates of people calling it quits in their marriage are much higher than we would like to believe. But today, I want to turn the tables on this conversation with a love story that I think will keep you on the edge of your seat. Hi, I'm Charles Morris, and this is The Great Stories Podcast. Today, we're returning to an interview with Juana Michaels, who wrote her incredible story in a book called Choosing Him All Over Again. In just a few minutes, you'll hear how she walked away from her marriage in search of a Mr. Right, and instead she found Jesus. But how did her story end? Did she go back to her husband? Did he take her back? Well, that is where things get interesting. As we head into this Valentine's Day weekend, I can't think of a better story for us to hear about heartbreak and redemption. I know you're going to love it. So let's get started. Welcome to Haven Today. I'm Charles Morris. The series this Valentine's Week is called Choosing Him All Over Again. And let's go to Raleigh, North Carolina. And with me on the line is somebody I've never met, but I've talked to for the past several years, Juana Michaels. We've had you on the program before, but it's been about eight years ago. Welcome back to Haven Today. Thank you, Charles. Thank you for having me. I am so blessed because I remember in 2007, I think it was, we had you on this program. You told a little bit of your story, and back then you were praying about writing your story down, and you finally did. So we might as well just get into the story of your life. And there is a romance to your story, but there's more than that. There's redemption to your story. Now, growing up in the South, you went to church all your life, didn't you? I did. Uh, My father built a little gate behind our house so we could just walk because the church was literally right behind our house through the woods there. Uh, He didn't always go. He suffered from alcoholism, but he made that gate so that we could go. Mm. And that was in Virginia? Mm -hmm. In Richmond. Only in the South would that happen. And certainly it probably wouldn't happen in the South today, would it? Because this world we live in is changing so much. Yes, but it was right behind my house, and I remember walking to choir on Wednesday nights, and on Sunday nights, my mom would make roast beef, and I would go right through that gate at 5 o'clock to get to church, and it was a very big part of my life, but it wouldn't be to years later that I would actually come face-to-face with the Savior. Great early background. It's one of those picture book stories that most of us have, and yet, as you just said, You really didn't know the Lord. And so what happened next? I went off to college and went to school in North Carolina, in Raleigh, North Carolina, to Meredith College. And the very first week of college, I met who would become my husband. We dated for the whole four years of college. I met Terry, Terry Michaels, and I had never had a boyfriend before. I was afraid I would fall in love with the idea of having a boyfriend, so it took me a long time to say that word. I think it was well over a year, and I finally stuttered it out, but uh, he became (laughs) more than my boyfriend when we became engaged uh, about a year after college. We both were working for Fortune 500 companies, and we were getting married. Mm, And now it starts to get gritty. You got married. Well, the first year, Charles, it was really a lot of fun. It was like playing house. 
we enjoyed that little house, uh, enjoyed cooking. We had friends over that had also settled in Raleigh that went to college with us. So we had lots to do and lots of friends and busy in our jobs. And like I say, in the beginning, it was it was really fun because we were always saying goodbye for four years. But once we married, mm. we were together. And it was just so fun not having to always say goodbye because we were coming back home to the same address. Right. But right. about a year and a half into the marriage, I started a process that would last another year and a half of becoming very disillusioned with the marriage. Mm. I'm leading you, you know, to where you packed your bags and left. Mm-hmm. And you'll tell us that in just a minute. But as you look back, do you blame yourself today? Do you blame Terry today? I know you don't like to remember that time, but it was a significant point in your marriage. A year into it. Yes, and I, I did not have any hobbies, uh, no interests. I worked in, busily in sales. Terry was also in sales. But he had so many hobbies. He was a handyman. He played golf. He loved uh, sports cars. He had a little MG. And on Saturday mornings, he would wash his car, and the sun would be shining, and he'd be ready to go play golf. And that's when I would be very idle after being so busy all week. And I started. I began to call the Saturday morning crying sessions later, mm. as mm. I would just cry, and I would be so sad in the house. And I would tell Terry I didn't want us to end up divorced, but something was missing in our marriage. But you know, Charles, looking back on it, I'm almost thankful that I didn't have any hobbies at that time in my life, because I came to a crisis of decision, I think, much sooner. I mean, had I been a skydiver or a fabulous seamstress or a runner or, you know, a kayaker, I think I would have just filled up every moment of my life. But because at 24 years old, I really didn't, I'd worked hard in school and now I was married and working hard at my job. But when I was idle on Saturday, it was a tough, tough time. You know, during the break, you asked me if I blamed myself, but I think of Proverbs 14.1 that says the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish one tears hers down. And Mm. I was beginning a process of actually tearing down my home with my own hands. So yes, I do take responsibility for that. But if I fast forward many, many years, and I hate to to tell your listening audience the future because we haven't got there in the story yet, but many years later, after my husband became a Christian, seven years after me, I had the pleasure of hearing him give his testimony to a group of about 200. And he took full responsibility. He said that early in his marriage, he neglected his wife. And I never thought that. I never thought that. But it's so interesting mm-hmm. how when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of a person, you really see from your side where you've been wrong. Mm. And so let's go back a little bit. You're a year into your marriage. Mm-hmm. You were having these pity parties on Saturday yes. morning, and Terry's washing the sports car and going off to play golf. You're home crying, feeling like he doesn't love you. And you had nothing to do. So what finally happened? Well, I just knew that something was missing. I didn't want to end up being divorced. But after a year and a half, you just get tired. And I was very Mm -hmm. tired. Eventually, I left the marriage. And I wasn't playing a game. I wasn't trying to get his attention to see what he would do. It, It was not a game. I was done. And Charles, I mean, I was totally done. I had made a conclusion. I came to the conclusion that I had married the wrong person, that it had to be the marriage. 
Uh, I had never heard that seeking the good of the other person, seeking unity in marriage, these kind of things that I heard many, many years later, I just assumed immediately that I must have married the wrong person. I must have married Mm. too soon. I should have married someone Mm. like me. He's so different from me (laughs) because I had no idea that men and women were different. It would be years later that I would realize that. But at that time, I thought men and women were exactly the same, so I must have married the wrong person, and I moved out. Wow. Wow. And he was gone. You didn't tell him where you went. And I know you wrote a note to him, though. Do you recall what you said in the note? It wasn't very lovey-dovey because I wasn't feeling many soft, fuzzy feelings toward him. I just wanted out, and I didn't use words like dear in love. I think I just said, Terry, I've gone to stay with a friend, and I'll be back in a couple of weeks to get my things. I'm sorry that our marriage just didn't work out. You know, I didn't, I'm sure I didn't say anything about the Saturday morning crying sessions, but he had known enough to say to me, you know, you've, you've got a problem, Lana. I mean, you, you're just going to have to figure this out. And, mm. and again, many years later, he, he feels that we had a problem, but, but he didn't have the maturity, nor did I, to know what was really going on. Mm. If you just joined us, you're listening to Haven Today. You're listening to Juana Michaels. She's in Raleigh, North Carolina. The series is called Choosing Him All Over Again. That's the title of her new book, and it's a story of romance and redemption. You walked out on him. You left. You didn't tell him where you went. He gets home from a trip, and he discovers that the woman he loves has gone missing on him. What did Terry do? He was devastated, and he asked me when he when he finally located me, and it was a little difficult for him to do that because I went and stayed with a friend that I normally wasn't in contact with. I didn't tell my mother. I didn't tell my good friends. I didn't want anybody trying to change my mind. So I purposely picked a friend that I had not been in touch with for a long time. She was shocked. She said something about us being the ideal couple, but she did let me come. And Terry did try to come and, and change my mind, but I was very cold toward him, Charles. Mm, Which I'm sure you regretted. In fact, you say you regret in your book. That's that tearing down that I'm talking about from Proverbs 14.1, that the foolish woman, just with her own hand, she's tearing the boards off her house, thinking what Mm. she's doing is right, and really it's it's totally self-destructive behavior. You know, I quoted Mother Teresa in the book right when I started it out, that she said the worst disease of all, and you know, she saw so much pain and disease there in India. And she said the worst disease of all was that people had no time for each other, no time to enjoy Mm. each other. And the solution was to really spread love beginning in your own home. But I didn't have that kind of wisdom when I was 24. Mm. My goodness. How many years have you been buried now? We are about this April to celebrate 34 years of marriage. Oh, my goodness. Congratulations. So the Lord did bring you back together. Yeah. After a two-year separation, we lived apart for two years. We never divorced. Mm, Long time, but you didn't have children yet. And then even though you didn't know it, the Lord's hand was on you then. You met the Lord, didn't you? Yes, I became very tired and, and didn't have the answers. I didn't have the satisfaction that th- I thought I was going to get because I thought I needed to 
meet people and places and find the one I really should have married. I didn't have anyone Mm. waiting for me in the wings, but boy, I sure wished I had and was on a search to find him. But it didn't take me very long to become even disillusioned in that. And I knew I'd grown up in church and hadn't been to church. So I thought, you know, the answers must be in church. And eventually I began going to church again. And it was there that I would come face-to-face with the Word of God, face-to-face with people who really were living out what they believed on a day-to-day basis. A couple of them reached out to me and took me under their wing and actually mentored me for a year and a half. Mm. And then you went back to Terry. Yes, it was more of a roller coaster, Charles, because by this point he had gotten (laughs) on with his life. And it had been months since we had spoken, and he had moved on, and he was very angry with me. He he didn't know mm-hmm. the Lord. He didn't know how to forgive, and he did not want to be married to me again. When I confronted him and told him that I had made a mistake and that I did want to be married to him, it would take another 14 months before we actually reconciled. He had some minor surgery, and he asked me to come to the hospital and then when it was time to go home, he asked if we could go home together to the to the home that we had really just just built when I left two years before he went to the hospital. And so we did go mm-hmm. home together to that new home. What a precious story. Wanna let me ask you to do something. You have written a delightful book, Choosing Him All Over Again. In fact, your friend Elizabeth Elliot is the one who suggested that you write the book, A Story yes. of Romance and Redemption. Do you mind reading a few lines from your book to us? Sure. Sure. Open up your book to page 291. This really struck me as gold, and I think it's worth sharing. That second paragraph. Just would you mind reading that with us down to the bottom of the page, and then, and then you can explain what was going on, too. My thoughts mirrored almost down to the words what Governor Mark Sanford of South Carolina said to his wife before they divorced. Do you want to wake up when you're 80 and know you never had a heart connection? His wife, Jenny, was shocked to hear him say this, as she had believed that they already shared a heart connection. I discovered the governor's comments when I was writing this book as I read Jenny Sanford's memoir, and I cringed when I learned of the severe consequences that flowed from his choices, the loss of his marriage and family. When I left Terry, I had no one in the wings waiting to spend his life with me as Governor Sanford had, but I foolishly wished I did, and I was planning to do all I could do to find him. I longed to find my one true love, whose love would last a lifetime. Mm. Wow. What a story. Many of us remember that story from the governor of South Carolina, living a double life, even while he was living as a very public figure. You didn't have to go through that yourself personally, but you can certainly identify with that, can't you? Oh, yes. And I think so many people say, you know, they, they're looking for their soulmate, and that's the word they use. And And one friend who actually interviewed for the book um, who had an illicit affair with her boss who later reconciled to her family said that she had thought he was her soulmate. But she also came to Christ, realized the sin of her ways, and said, what what a joke it is to use the word soulmate when really our one true soulmate is the Lord Hmm. Jesus Christ. Who, mm-hmm. who died for our soul, that we may know him 
and live with him forever. So I just love that she said that, and I actually quoted her her in the book as well. But, you know, Charles, as we're thinking about this, it it reminds me of something that, that Corey Ten Boom said, that wonderful old saint who's, who's now died. She had hid Jewish people in her home during World War II at great cost to her family. In fact, her father and sister both lost their lives later in concentration camps for that. But she found forgiveness with the Nazis and went on later and called herself a tramp for the Lord and and went all over Mm -hmm. Europe, but said to people that those who were able to forgive really were those who were able to overcome and to go on to lead fruitful lives. And what a message for those marriages that are in trouble, that if you could face the problems in your marriage and, and hang with it and look to the Lord as the restorer of that relationship, your chances for peace and happiness in that marriage are so much greater than going on, in some cases, to husband and wife number two, in husband and wife number three, in a cycle that may never end. Mm, mm. Unless Jesus Christ breaks through. Yes, as he did in our As case. he did with you. Mm-hmm. Wow. Juana, towards the end of your book, you offer 11 checkpoints to refresh your marriage. Some of them were from my predecessor's wife here at Haven Ministries, Ann Orland. Do you mind just sharing a few of those checkpoints with us? I'd be happy to. And yes, it was through Ann Orland that I first heard of these and actually contacted Haven to say, may I elaborate on those on how they've been used in my life? Because Anne was such a practical teacher for women. Things like, I will not bring up my husband's past failures today. I mean, who wants to hear of their past mistakes? We don't want to hear someone do that to us. And we're encouraged Mm. in the Bible to treat others as we want to be treated. So not bringing up your husband's past failures, putting from my mind any weak points of my husband, which I cannot change, and concentrate on my husband's good points. You know, you could tear any person down to shreds. But yes. how about focusing on our husband's good points, that, he, that he's pr- a provider and thanking him for providing for you or, or fixing your car or whatever, whatever the Lord brings to your mind that is a good point of your husband. And you know, Juana, let me just slip in here that you've written this from the standpoint of being a wife, you're also a mother, and loving your husband, Terry. But I found myself reading this, and I just switched it. I found myself praying for Janet and looking for how these checkpoints can apply to me to be a better husband and to love my wife more. Oh, I love that you did that, Charles. And people have asked me if, if this book, if, they could, if you could flip it, and could it apply to the man? And I, I love that you just said that. So I'm glad to see that you did that very thing. Of course, I've only been a woman, so I'm writing it from my, my viewpoint. Sure, and, sure. And, and what I think that the power that a woman has in how she treats her husband. And can, may I just read a, a little bit from First Peter 3, which was one of my cornerstone verses in those seven years that I became a believer before Terry became a believer. Sure, please. It says in First Peter 3, 
Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. And Charles, Mm. let me tell you, I was not born with a gentle and quiet spirit. My mother was Hispanic, (laughs) and I come from a long line of people not born with a gentle and quiet spirit. Uh, Well, you know, Juana, that works both ways as well. And in fact, in the early church, there were more women than there were men who were becoming Christians, Mm -hmm. and they were praying for their unbelieving husbands. You go to a place like China today where between eight and nine out of 10 members of churches are women and they follow Christ and become believers in Jesus. And it's almost a death sentence for never getting married because it's just the women who are the church. And yet here is this passage that you took to heart and uh, we can take to heart. And I'm speaking to men as well who may be married to an unbelieving wife. Uh, don't look at your past. Look where you are now and call on the Lord. The Lord does hear us, doesn't he, Wana? Yes. And, you know, the difficulty, the trial there is hard. And the Christian life is, is not easy. It's impossible. But Christ through us, Christ through us can, can help us. I know in the trial, it's it's helpful to see God's will in it. You may not like the trial itself if you're a Christian and your spouse is not, but he's looking to see if you will be faithful. Are you faithful in what he's called you to do? You know, he's called you to the ministry of loving that unbelieving spouse, which I had mm. seven years practice at that, and my husband did become a believer, but that's not always the case. And we read in God's yeah. word, if the non-believer wants to leave, let him leave. You're not bound in such circumstances. So God just really gives us direction. But he makes no distinction in the Bible, by the way, if your husband is a believer or not. Your job is the very same, to treat him you know, with respect and mm-hmm. to remember yes. God is watching to see if you're going to be faithful. One mm. of Michael's. You left your husband, your house, your friends. This is more than 30 years ago when this happened. But you began a search for peace and happiness in earnest, and you mistakenly thought all you needed was Mr. Right. But instead, you found Jesus and the peace that you always longed for. Now, you've written this new book, Choosing Him, all over again. You have four beautiful children. I know you pray for your husband almost every day, don't you? Well, I, I miss it on some days, but it is my goal to, to try to be faithful to pray for, for Terry most days of the week. And in the back of the book, I gave the very prayers that I've been praying for over 25 years now. They're, they're broken out by the day of the week, things like praying for his maturity in the Lord, praying for his protection on and time for fruit to be produced in his life. And you can pray these different prayers on different mm. days of the week. But one of my favorite prayers was taught to me by Elizabeth Elliot, and 
I call one of those the I'll keep in prayer. And this is at the back of your book, Choosing Him All Over Again. And this is one of the prayers that you pray regularly for your husband, Terry. So go, go ahead, share that with us. Written by Elizabeth, it says, Lord, he's your man. He's the one you've given to me. His peculiarities and his personality you gave me. I'll take it. Help me, Lord. Show me ways, Lord, to make his life as pleasant and easy as I can. Now, Lord, you work in him the changes you think need to be done. Fulfill your purposes. Mm. And to go from a wife who left her husband to now has been praying for over 20 years to make his life as pleasant and easy as I can. I prayed that even just this morning before I put the roast in the crock pot. That's one way. He loves pork (laughs) roast. And it will make his life pleasant and easy when he gets home and it's ready and it smells good. But I don't always do that, Charles. And I want your listeners to know that um, I am not some super fabulous, never makes a mistake wife. No, and that does not come through in the book, Juana. You don't have to worry about that. You do sound a little old fashioned, but I think old fashioned may be biblical too, don't you? Well, that Titus two woman is is busy about her home and actually helps others also. So I think looking to the Lord, he's going to guide us at exactly what to do each day. But um, I do have to die daily. Selfishness takes over and you start thinking about what about me or just naturally, just the other day making coffee and I was up early at six and I made my cup just exactly the way I like it with whipped cream and cinnamon on top (laughs) and was going up the dark stairs when, and I think it's the Holy Spirit, just plants an idea that really isn't natural to you. My natural tendency was to get a cup of coffee for myself. And it's almost like this little inner voice said, don't you think Terry would like one? And I Mm. went back down, but it was an afterthought, really. Went back down and brought it to him, and he was so appreciative. He loves coffee, and it's cold in the morning, and it's just so wonderful how the Lord really does help us. He wants us to do his will more than we want to do it. And Mm. as we abide in him and read his word and stay close to the Savior, he will help us. And some of these prayers, like, like praying that Terry's life will be as easy and pleasant as possible, it comes back to me. I'll pray it in the morning, and then those mm. very words will come back to me later in the day. And how much better is that? than It's so easy to be angry at your husband. But when you're praying for him, it's harder. It's almost like you're giving yourself more ammunition that will come back to you later in the day. And as you look back over these years, I know it's passed quickly, but just tell me, how do you thank the Lord? You know, what, 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 what do you mm. say to him? Because I know you talk to him about this every day. Mm. Charles, I shudder to think all I would have missed had I not gotten on God's path. You know, the birth of mm. our first child, a daughter, and then followed by our two sons, and then our little Mary, who we did not know would be born totally blind as our youngest child. Mm. Little did you know that God would give you Mary. And, you know, you and I have talked about we have a grandchild who is severely autistic, and I've talked about little Ricky. He was uh, adopted from Korea when he was just a baby, and... uh, There is something about having a special needs child, and yet you don't even think of Mary as special needs today, do you? 
Not too often, not too often. Uh, but I think of that scripture that says that God will use the weak things of the world to confound the wise. And just uh-huh. the, the singing that I heard coming out of her room just as a young child. And <laughs> remember walking. She taught herself how to sing. Oh, she taught she? herself. And she would listen <laughs> to the sound of music. And she sounded more like Julie Andrews than Julie Andrews did. I, I had to come in there several times to see if it was the CD or Mary right. because she could just sing exactly like her. And she was only five years old. And I remember walking in her room one time, and she didn't play with traditional toys. She just had one little two-inch plastic doll. But she loved our answering machine so much that we gave it to her and got another one so that she could record on it. And then uh, she eventually got a digital recorder, and just a little small handheld thing. And she began mixing her voice using three-part mm. harmony with three recorders at about six years of age. She was doing that. Oh so she was, wow. She God definitely had in mind for her to sing, and I just love to hear Mary sing. I think back, mm. though, Charles, when she was born with without any eyes whatsoever, no optic nerves, and, and think of Psalm 139 where the Lord tells us that he sees our unformed parts. And that has brought me so much comfort that he knows about Mary not having eyes. He knows about Mary not having optic nerves, and she's never seen a ray of light in her life. But as Mary says, she doesn't need it. Give sight to somebody else who needs it. She's never had it and just loves to sing. She also plays the violin. She's asked to sing for many nonprofit events and in churches, and sometimes we go together, and I'll, I'll give my testimony or speak, and Mary will sing as just a wonderful benediction to our time. What about the other kids? You know, for for no one who has a special needs child in their family, you think it might be problematic, and things oh, will it's a uh, gift. not go well. And and uh, oh, Charles, I, I'm sure people feel sorry for the Michaels. You know, thinking, uh, right, oh, right, the poor right, Michaels, right. they have that little blind child. But oh, we are so blessed because yes. of Mary. You know, before she was born, I was reading often at night. I would read a biblical book based on biblical principles. And I was reading one called The Building of Character, written about 200 years ago by a man named Jerry Miller. And I was on the chapter about praying for others. And he said, you know, it's right and good that we pray for our friend when they're in the sick room. But rather than to just pray that they get well, why not pray for more? Why not pray that they would be more known in the will of God, that they would be more loving, less selfish, and more complete in all his will? In other words, that the spiritual work would be done when they come out of that sick room. And it was just revolutionary to me because I had this was my fourth pregnancy. I had three wonderful pregnancies and had always prayed that the baby would be healthy and the delivery would go well. But upon reading that, which was really based on God's word written many, many, many years ago, I changed my prayer. And two weeks before Mary was due, I said, Lord, in addition to having a healthy baby and the delivery going well, will you bring Terry and I closer together? Will you make our marriage stronger? Would you make us less selfish and more complete in all the will of God? And then went to have Mary, not knowing anything was any different 
to find out about 10 minutes after she was born that it appeared that she did not have any eyes whatsoever, and she was also born with a cleft lip and some nose deformity. Mm. What a story. And what a way for a family to rally. Now, I know one of that... My friend Johnny Erickson Tata tells me, especially through the camps that her organization runs in the summer, that a special needs child can break up marriages. It can be the trigger, but yet it doesn't have to be the case, does it? It doesn't have to be the case. Mary has really opened our eyes in so many ways because she doesn't have sight. She doesn't see the person. She sees the heart in one of her favorite scriptures is uh, 1 Samuel 16, 7. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God Mm. sees the heart. The very verse that God gave me when Mary was six weeks of age and she went to Duke Hospital to have surgery done on her lip and nose. And the doctor came out and he said, her lip looks very good, but I was unable to help with her nose. And Mm. I said, what do you mean? He said, she was deficient. I said, what do you mean deficient? He said, well, normally in a cleft lip, everything is there. It's just in the wrong place. And I unrolled it and put it back where it should go. But in Mary's case, the tissue was missing. So back to that Mm. unformed tissue. But God knew that. But I was very down that day. Went Mm. back to her room where she was in recovery. And it was to top it off a gloomy day. When I looked out the window, there was another building there. And I was looking at bricks and I was crying tears. And I said, Lord, I I know that she's blind. I know that she's not going to see. But girls like symmetry. Could she not have a whole nose, Lord, please? And I was just crying out to him. And not that I heard a voice in the room, but just the gentle, gentleness tugging at my heart said, Oh, Juana, Juana, you're looking at the outside appearance, Mm. but I see Mary's heart. Mm. And, you know, Mary loves God so much. She wants to serve him and love others, and she's just precious. Mm. And she has a most amazing voice. Let's listen to Mary Michaels sing for us. Amazing Grace, Mary Michaels singing for us. Juana Michaels, mom, wife, lover of Jesus is on with us right now. Wasn't that precious in that video where Elizabeth Elliot, who's written so many bestsellers, married to the late Jim Elliot, who was murdered by uh, cannibals in South America, sounds so bad. And yet here in her Alzheimer's, she reaches over and strokes your Mary's hair. Kind of gets to you, doesn't it, Juana? Yes. 
Yes, it's so dear. And seeing them sitting together, we recently, this summer, had the opportunity to go and, and stay in their home with them. Mary and I went together, and my Mary would sit beside Elizabeth and just hold her hand and talk to her, and just so, so dear as Elizabeth, her words are very few and far between now, but you can still see in those big blue eyes that she's listening, she's listening, and Mary said to her, do you know how much I love you? And Elizabeth replied, yes. Mm. Mm. You know, I'm back to what Mary sang for us, that the blind may see. There's only one blindness that really counts, and that's spiritual blindness. And yet we have these great promises that in Christ the blind may see. And someday when we're physically with Jesus and we receive those resurrection bodies, Elizabeth Elliot gets her brain in full capacity back again. Mary will get the eyes, the physical eyes to see that she's never had. And uh, I had polio as a young child. I'll be able to skip and run like I never have in my entire life. The Lord is so good, isn't he, Juana? He is. It's all grace, pure grace. And I've said before, and I didn't originate the idea, grace trumps everything. Juana Michaels in Raleigh, North Carolina. I'd like us to pray. And I'd like to ask you to lead us in prayer. And I know there are people listening right now that would so love this coming Saturday night to be able to just share their life with someone that they felt like they loved at one time, but just the flame has gone out for whatever reason. Would you pray for people who really would love to have a great marriage, but also a marriage in Jesus? Yes, I would be delighted to, Charles. Loving Lord and Heavenly Father, I come to you now and I lift up that listener who's listening right now. I pray that they'll put their full trust in you and that they will know that you are the God of love and that your will is the will of love. It's never to harm us, but that you may have to hurt us. It was very painful in that time in my life, but it was all for your greater glory and all for your greater good and your will in my life. And I pray for that listener that they will begin with that trust in you and that they will trust you even with their love life. And I lift them up to you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of Great Stories with Charles Morris. And I want to also thank Juana for joining us and sharing her story of love, heartbreak, and redemption. If you want to hear more conversations like this, why don't you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts? And if you enjoyed this episode, please help us get the word out by leaving a five-star review. You can also go to haventoday.org and sign up for our weekly email and discover additional episodes posted on the blog. And as always, thank you for joining me once again on Great Stories with Charles Morris. Mm -hmm.